that you would just bless tonight. We thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your love. And I thank you for this fellowship. And I thank you for the people here that have been praying for me and for my family, for my dad. And we just ask that you just be with him and the pain that he's in. And Lord, um, that you would just strengthen us as we see him decline in health. But we commit him to you, and we thank you for that. And Lord, I know that there are so many that are here that they have watched their their parents go through the same thing, and I lift them up to you as well. And Lord, the ache that they have in their hearts, seeing that, um, may we be there to encourage them. And I just pray that you would just bless them. And, and Lord, we are so thankful because we know that Moses would write in the Psalms that teach us to number our days. And you have ordained and fashioned our days. And Lord, I just pray that we would, each and every day that we have with our loved ones, that we would look to you and we would have hearts of gratitude and that we would see your grace and mercy working. And Lord, that you would just um, strengthen those who need it. And Lord, that you would just, um, we thank you for our parents. And when they get to the elderly age, we realize how hard they worked for us and how they loved us and the things that they taught us. And so may we be ones that, Lord, that we would look with a heart of gratitude for your blessing. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would, again, bless tonight as we study your word. And, Lord, that as we look at Moses and the children of Israel, that they were going through affliction themselves, that they looked to you and saw your mighty hand working in their lives. And so, Lord, we look to be encouraged tonight and edified. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Moses had gone to Pharaoh, and after he had been told by the Lord there at the burning bush that, Moses, you're going to be the one that's going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And Pharaoh, of course, was uh, one that was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And Moses, as he heard the Lord say that you're the one that's going to go. He said, who am I that I should go? And and I'm slow of speech. And that's something that Moses keeps bringing back to the Lord because here he is, he's standing before Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, during the time that Egypt is in the height of its power and its, its, its you know, riches and its glory. And so Moses is learning something very important because as he went to Pharaoh in the first encounter, him and Aaron, here these two guys come out of the desert. Here's Moses had been in the desert for 40 years herding sheep. And he goes to Pharaoh and says, Thus says the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, Who is this God that I should let them go? And he would increase the burdens on the children of Israel as he then said to them, as we saw um, in chapter 5, that, you know what, you're not going to get any more um, straw. You're going to have to go out and get it and keep your quotas and making your bricks. And it was a heavy burden on the children of Israel. And as they couldn't keep up with the quotas, they were being afflicted even more and they were being killed. And, and Pharaoh was saying that you guys, you want to go out in the wilderness, uh, you're too idle. And so they were in agony of spirit, as we saw the scriptures tell us, anguish of spirit. And of course, you can, you can sense and, and feel the anguish that they were going through. But yet God, as we saw last week, Lord came to Moses, as Moses came to the Lord and said, you know, we're troubled even more since I've come to them. 
And the Lord said, Moses, now you're going to see what I can do. You've seen what Pharaoh can do and what the world can do, but now you're going to see what I can do. And as we saw last week, it was the Lord that said, Moses, you tell the children of Israel, again, remind them that I am the Lord, the Lord Yahweh. That is the name that I have declared, and I am God Almighty. It isn't Pharaoh that's Almighty, it's me. And I'm going to be the one that's going to bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'm going to be the one that's going to rescue you from your bondage. I'm going to bring you out with an outstretched arm. And with great judgments, I'm going to pour out on the children of Israel. I'm going to take you as my people. I will be your God. And I will bring you into the land that will be a heritage for you. Moses, you're going to see me working for you. And through you. And so, as we saw that God was reminding Moses of that, again, Moses came back, as we saw twice there in chapter 6, and he said, But I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. In other words, what he was saying is, How can I go to Pharaoh when I don't speak very well? And so, chapter 7, as we pick up our text, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. And you shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And so we see here that Moses, you're an instrument for me to go to Pharaoh. Enough about he won't heed you. I've already told you, and the Lord has already told Moses, didn't he? Moses, he's not going to heed you. He's going to harden his heart, and the Lord's going to remind Moses of this once again. But he's going to see the judgments that I will bring down upon Egypt, and they are going to know, the Egyptians, that I am the Lord. But you go and do what I tell you to do, and you speak the things that I tell you to speak. Aaron's going to speak for you. He'll be your mouthpiece. But you do what I command you to do. And so... Moses needed to just learn. You go and you do what God has told you to do and you say the things that God has told you to say to Pharaoh. He isn't going to heed you. He's going to harden his heart against me. And you know what? The thing that you and I need to be reminded tonight is the Lord maybe put somebody on her heart. Maybe in the workplace or neighborhood or maybe it is a family member. And you're thinking, how can I go to them? This person is maybe intelligent. Maybe this person is, you know, a, a boss or owner of a business, whatever it might be. You think, you know, who am I that I should go to them? And who am I that I should give them truth or give them the gospel message? And the Lord oftentimes, he prompts our hearts. He says, go. And you go and you speak truth. But the thing is, what they do with that truth, you know, you, you pray for the Holy Spirit to touch their hearts and to open up their hearts and to remove the blindness. But when they, if they reject you and when they reject you in God's truth, they're not really rejecting you, they're rejecting the Lord. And that's something that we need to remember. You see, it reminds me of Samuel. Remember during the days of the Judges, you read the book of Judges, in that period of 250, 300 years, there they you know, had been rejecting the Lord, and finally they put away their idols, and Samuel was the last of the Judges. And as you move into 1 Samuel in the first few chapters, you see that they put away the idols and they turned to the Lord. But then they came to Samuel and they said, Samuel, we want to be like the other nations and we want a king. And Samuel was grieved by that. 
Because you see, God had called them Israel, which means governed by God. And it was the Lord's desire that he was going to be their king. And it was the Lord's desire that he was going to govern them and lead them. And then when the other nations saw how he was blessing them, then they would turn and and say, hey, we know that your God is real. It would be a light and a witness to them. But they said, we want to be like the other nations. And so Samuel, being grieved by that, went to the Lord. And the Lord came back to Samuel and said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And you see, whenever we give truth and we give the gospel to somebody and they reject it, they're really rejecting the Lord. But oftentimes we won't do that because we take it personal or we think, you know, they're not going to like me or whatever it might be. The Lord has told us to go out and speak the most wonderful news and most wonderful truth you and I know, and that is Jesus loves you and died for you and has provided forgiveness and salvation for you if you turn to him. And so we need not be afraid when the Lord opens those opportunities and and those uh, promptings that he gives to us to go to somebody. And so in verse 3, and I will harden as as the Lord here is going to tell Moses again what's going to happen. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. So God uh, here, as he says, I'm going to harden his heart. But we're going to see as he goes to Pharaoh here and these plagues that are going to start uh, here in this chapter here that we're going to see that Pharaoh hardens his heart, Pharaoh's hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardens his heart, Pharaoh's hardened his heart several times before we see that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So God will not harden Pharaoh's heart against his will. We're going to see that each time that Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, thus says the Lord, let the children of Israel go, or this is what's going to happen. He's already warned Pharaoh that, Pharaoh, if you don't let, this is what the Lord says to you, Pharaoh, if you don't let my firstborn go, my firstborn, my son, Israel, the children of Israel go, then he's going to kill your firstborn. It was a warning that God said in chapter 4 to give to Pharaoh. But we see in each one of these warnings, and each time it was declared that one of these plagues was going to happen, Pharaoh showed no sign at all of repenting. He showed no sign at all of, you know, turning to the Lord, softening his heart towards the Lord. We're going to see that he's going to have worldly sorrow. He's going to be sorry for some of the consequences that are going to happen. But he is not going to repent and turn to the Lord. So he hardens his heart, and he hardens his heart. And then we're going to see that the Lord is going to confirm what he has already done. So verse 4, But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And then Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. And so we see here that God knows how, uh, what is going to happen. God's going to deal with him. He is going to show them that, you know what, that by my hand, I'm going to lead the children of Israel out by the great judgments that they may know that I am the Lord. That's a phrase that we're going to see over and over again during these plagues, that you're going to know, Pharaoh, that he is the Lord. You are not God. Because, see, Pharaoh in those days, they saw themselves as deity. They saw themselves as a god. And Egypt, the Egyptians worship many gods. And so they're going to see that I am the Lord. Now, one of the things is that we see in um, the, the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, and, for example, in the book of Ezekiel, you see that phraseology a lot. 
that Ezekiel, when he was dealing with the captives in Babylon, he would say that you may know that I am the Lord as the Lord would prophesy to them. For example, Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39, in that war that is yet to come, that great battle that's going to happen in the Middle East as Gog and Magog and Persia and some of the other nations are going to surround Israel and they will attack Israel and God's going to fight on behalf of Israel. We see that phrase over and over again in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that they may know that I am the Lord. And so we see that in the scriptures as God works with the mighty hand and the Egyptians and Pharaoh are going to see that he is the Lord. And so in verse 8, we see that then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you saying, show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. And so God knows how Pharaoh thinks here. When you tell him, that you come in his name, the name of the Lord, he's going to ask for some kind of proof. He's going to ask, show me, show me some proof, some sign that, you know what, you come in the name of, of the Lord. And so the Lord said, Aaron, what you do is you throw down your staff and it's going to become a serpent. Again, the religious leaders would come to Jesus and they would ask for a sign. They would ask for a sign, fire from heaven or some sign from heaven. Show us, as you're talking about, you come from the Father and you come from heaven. And Jesus said, no sign's going to be given to you except for one. And that is the sign of my crucifixion and my resurrection. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a large fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You are going to get one sign, and that is my crucifixion and my resurrection. Sometimes people will look at you and me as Christians and they will say, what do you mean this Jesus? What do you mean that he's the Son of God? Show me that really he's the Son of God. You know, you, you, how are you going to know for sure that, that he is the Son of God or God really exists? One sign. You point to them, to the crucifixion and to the resurrection. Okay? And that's why Paul said to the Corinthian church there in, in chapter 2, he said, when I first came to you, I came in fear and trembling. And I didn't come with the wisdom of men, and, but I came in the power and demonstration of the Spirit. And I came preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And when people look at you and they say, how do you know Jesus is the Son of God? How do you know God is real? You give them one sign, will you? And that you point to the cross at Calvary. And you talk about his crucifixion and his resurrection. He's alive. You know what? Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. He died on a cross and shed his blood for you. And he was put into a tomb and he rose again three days later. And he's alive. And he wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you life and life abundantly. That's the sign that you give to people. You speak of his love and his grace and his mercy. So a sign is going to be asked, and this is what you do. You throw down your rod. So verse 10, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. In verse 12, for every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Notice here, Pharaoh's heart grew hard. This didn't affect him, didn't faze him at all, that, that this serpent of Aaron had eaten up his magician's serpents. And notice that his magicians were, eat, were able to duplicate this miracle. They were able to do enchantments. And they are working 
under the workings of Satan, under the power of Satan. And we need to understand something as Christians. That Satan can work miracles. And we see that throughout the scriptures. We see it here with Pharaoh's magicians. They're going to duplicate some of these powers. Now, there's a limit to that. So don't think that Satan is the opposite equal of God in power. He is not. He is nothing compared to God. He's a created being. He was an angel that fell, as we know from Isaiah and Ezekiel's uh, prophecies that tell us that he was Lucifer, an archangel, a worship leader who became very prideful. He fell and became Satan. And we know that Jesus said to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. And so we know that, that Satan, he is powerful, he's real, he's more powerful than you and me. And we know that he can work lines, signs, and wonders. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 tells us about in the last days in the tribulation period that we just talked about in our Revelation study recently, that it's going to be the Antichrist and the false prophets that are going to do signs and wonders. And they're going to see many by those signs and wonders. So where we need to be careful is, as 1 John tells us as Christians, that we are to test the spirits to see if they are of God. And the way to test the spirits is not just by miracles, because Satan can do miracles. And 2 Corinthians tells us that Satan is an angel of light. And when the Antichrist and the false prophet first come on the scene, the world's going to look at them and be so enamored and, and so amazed by their workings and the wonders that many are going to be deceived. And they're going to say, wow, look, they're calling down fire from heaven. Look at the miracles that are happening. But you see, when you see the miracles, you better listen to the message that is being said. And as the scripture says, Daniel very carefully, and also the book of Revelation, that he's going to speak blasphemous things towards the Lord. The world's going to look at it and say he speaks marvelous things, great things. He's a great orator. But to the one who knows God's word, and as a child of God who has discernment because they know the scriptures, they're going to be able to recognize that this is blasphemy against God, what he is saying. But he's going to come on the scene as an angel of light. But Satan is what? A master deceiver. He is the father of lies. He's a murderer, Jesus said. And he deceives the whole world, Revelation chapter 12 says. And he's going to do that. And part of how he's going to do that is with lying signs and wonders. We are going to see in Matthew's gospel as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, that it's going to be Jesus, as he finished that sermon, he's going to say, listen, there's going to be the day, in that day, that there are going to be those who are going to say, you know, um, that uh, as they will say, um, Jesus will say to them, you know, you said, Lord, Lord, and, and didn't we do miracles? Didn't we cast out demons? And the Lord will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. That's an amazing portion of scripture there in Matthew chapter 7. In that day, there will be many. He didn't say a few. He said that there's going to be many that are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these marvelous works? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And the Lord said, I never knew you. And that strikes me. I believe God works miracles. And I believe he works miracles today. I believe he heals. And, and I believe we can see God working. But we've got to test the spirits and be discerning in the message that is being said by those who are working or those who are claiming to do miracles. We need to be discerning in the message that is given. And that's one of the warnings of Scripture given to us, that as Christians, you better test the spirits, and it's through the authority of the Word of God. That's our final authority. So here Satan is working these miracles, and so we can't just determine truth by just miracles alone is what I'm saying. 
We've got to make sure that the words that are being spoken by somebody is what matches to the word of God. But as we see, Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and so now we're going to see that the plagues are going to come and begin right now as we read verse 14. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and he shall stand by the river's banks to meet him, and the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. Verse 16, And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. And thus says the Lord, By this you shall, you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water, of the river. And so this first plague that's going to come is the water, the Nile River being turned to blood. Now, a couple things about these plagues. God is going to send 10 plagues. Now, most of us know that. I don't know if Pharaoh knew that there's going to be 10 plagues. He did know that it was going to come to the point where that if Pharaoh did not let the children of Israel go, that God was going to kill the firstborn of Egypt. God had already told in chapter 4, this is the message that you give to Pharaoh. He's getting a warning right away. But each time that these plagues come, we're going to see that Pharaoh continue to harden his heart, as I said. So part of the, the purposes of this judgment and these plagues coming upon Egypt is, verse 4, judgment upon Egypt and Pharaoh for what they were doing to God's people. God was not going to let them continue to be in affliction and in bondage, to be killed, to be under the, the taskmaster's you know, whip that the Egyptians were putting on the backs of the children of Israel, throwing those male children that were born into the Nile River. God said, I'm not going to let it continue. These are my people, and so judgment is going to come if you do not let them go. And so that's what we're going to see is going to happen. And as we talked about in our Revelation study and as we've gone through the Old Testament prophets, we saw that God says the same thing about the children of Israel, his nation Israel, as the restoration of Israel will come in the last days when Jesus Christ comes back. But he says, in those prophecies, I'm going to protect my people. So we see in Ezekiel's prophecies, Zechariah's chapters 12, 13, and 14, uh, we see in Isaiah's prophecies how God will defend his people there as it looks like that they're done for, as the nations of the world will surround them. And that last battle called the Battle of Armageddon seems like Israel is going to be destroyed but God will stand up as he says in Joel's prophecies chapter 2 and he will fight and he will bring his army and he will save his people so the judgments coming down for what they were doing to God's people second of all to show that Moses God is greater than the Egyptians God to show the Egyptians that he is the one true living God now again the Egyptians worship many of of gods and each one of these plagues if we did an in-depth study on it you can see that it was really a judgment against the gods that they were worshiping. One of the things that they worshiped was the Nile River. The Nile River was everything to Egypt. So they worshiped the Nile River. And so we see here that the Nile River is being judged. And so they, they believed in a goddess who was over the Nile River and all of this. So really it's a judgment against this goddess. And God's going to show them again, as we saw in verse 4, that I am the Lord, not the Egyptian gods. They can do absolutely nothing for you guys. We're going to see when he strikes them with frogs that there was a goddess that they believed in that, that was 
you know, a woman with the head of a frog on it. Not very attractive, but that's what they believe. And so, you know, they saw frogs as a blessing, and then as this is judgment is going to come with frogs they're going to see that the lord is the lord and that their goddess you know and believing in frogs and worshiping frogs um is you know futile and vain and you see that's one of the messages that we should get as we we see it over and over again as we go through the scriptures again during the days of the judges after joshua brought them into the promised land and after that first generation we see that they begin to turn to the gods of the Canaanites and those idols. We see in, in um, you know, during the time of um, after David and, and then came um, Solomon and then after the reign of Solomon, the nation once again fell into idol worship. And so you see the prophets that would come on the scene, Isaiah and Jeremiah, and they were saying, why are you worshiping these idols? I mean, it's vain. These idols aren't going to be able to help you. I mean, they have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have mouths, but they can't speak. And, and you have to carry them around. And remember, and the Lord would remind them over and over again, don't you remember how I brought you out of Egypt with an outstretched arm? Don't you remember how I parted the Red Sea and drowned the Egyptian army? Why don't you turn to me? Because I love you and I want to bless you, but you're turning to these, these idols and false worship that cannot help you and the futility of it and, the, and, the, and how vain it was and the emptiness of worshiping those idols. But yet they did not heed the voice of the Lord. And so the Egyptians are going to see that the Lord is the Lord and the Egyptian gods could not help them at all. And then thirdly, to bring about God's purpose, to bring the children of Israel into the promised land, he's going to keep his word. Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, and I made a covenant with them, and the covenant is that I'm going to give them this land, and I promised Abraham that I would bring them back from this foreign land that they would be in for 400 years. I promised that to Jacob. I'm going to keep my promises, and I'm going to keep my covenant. And I don't know about you, but that brings a lot of comfort to me when I read the promises of God that are given to me throughout the Scriptures that I know that he's going to be faithful and true to keep those promises. And as he declared his name, as we saw in the book of Revelation, I am the one that is faithful and true, the Lord says. And so when we read his promises given to us in his word, that I'll never leave you, that I'll work all things out for good for those who love me, who are called according to my purposes, that no weapon formed against you is going to prosper, that I'll be with you always. And the promises that we read over and over again, I'll give you rest as you come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Then I know that he's going to bring those promises to pass. For you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled, as we saw last Sunday, as we were looking at the Beatitudes. And maybe you're here tonight, and maybe you hunger and you thirst for the Lord, and the Lord says, come to me. And as you believe in me, Submit your life to me, that you're going to find true satisfaction and fulfillment and joy in your life and peace in your life. I will fill up your soul and I will bring comfort to you and lasting peace. And I'll be that which you were looking for to satisfy you because I have living water to give and I'm the bread of life. And so his promises are true. And so we can look at his promises and we know that he's going to bring in the past. Just as he said, I made a promise 
to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm going to keep that promise. And I'm going to bring them out of Egypt and bring them into the promised land. So we see as uh, this plague would come, verse 19, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams and over their rivers and over their ponds and over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank. I like to have the Bibles just real honest. You know, the river stank. It's kind of like when Lazarus came forth, he stinketh is what Jesus said in the King James. We can't, we can't unwrap him. He's been there four days. He stinketh. So. <laughs> and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river, so there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And so we see here that, you know, as the waters turn to blood, it reminds us of Revelation chapter 16, the third bold judgment and you recall that there was an angel of the waters that was saying, For you are righteous, O Lord, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets. And the Nile River is being struck with blood as they were throwing the babies into the Nile River and shedding their blood. And it was like the Lord is saying, I remember that. So I'm going to strike the Nile River. And the fish would die, and the goddess that was over the Nile River would not be able to help them. And so all the fish dying and it stank. And then verse 22, the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. And so here we see that Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. He's not moved by this at all. And so now the second plague. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up, uh, up and come into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and on your houses of your servants and on your people and to your ovens and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and on all your servants. So Moses goes to Pharaoh again. And if you don't let my people go, I'm going to smite your territory with frogs. Again, the Egyptians had regarded frogs as having divine power. And so they believed in the goddess Hejit. And they, you know, frogs were not to be killed. They were seen as a blessing. God's going to show them that these frogs, it's a false deity and they're not a blessing. They're going to be a cursing to you. They're going to be everywhere. You're not going to be able to take a step without stepping on a frog. They're going to be in your ovens. They're going to be in your bowl of cereal. They're going to be in your bed. They're going to be all over you. And so here the warning is given. All these frogs abundantly in all the land. They're going to be in all your houses and stuff. And so verse 5, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds. Cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs from the land of Egypt. In verse 8, Then Pharaoh called for Moses, and Aaron said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice 
to the Lord. So frogs come out and they cover the land. And, and the magicians, really smart guys here, what they do is they bring up more. So not only duplicating the miracle, you know, Aaron throws down his rod, it turns into a serpent. They did the same thing, even though Aaron's serpents ate up all their serpents. They turned water into blood, some water that they could find. And then now they call up more frogs. But they can't get rid of these frogs. And that's the thing to remember, that Satan, when he works, is always to make things worse. You may look at it and say, you know, people are deceived and they're thinking this is great, this is wonderful, that's what the end of the world, when the Antichrist comes on the scene, but it's to make things worse. Because it's with working of darkness that he works with. And that's why he's called a deceiver. And so here they call up the frogs, but they can't get rid of these frogs. And so Pharaoh wants the frogs to go away from the people. A couple things here, he acknowledges that his magicians can't help him. Yet he continues to harden his heart. And he's going to show worldly sorrow again, as he does here. He cries to Moses, Moses, you get rid of these frogs. He's recognizing that his magicians can't do it. Moses is able to do it. And, and his God, Moses, do this and I'll let the people go. But it's again what we're going to see. He's going to be deceiving in its worldly sorrow. That just is sorry for the consequences that he is experiencing. So he continues to harden his heart. He acknowledges that their pagan god, who they thought was a blessing, is really a curse. And so he says, I want these frogs to go away. I pray that we never say to the Lord, go away. I pray that we would never say, Lord, go away. And what we see the Lord over and over again say to you and to me is, come. Again, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Come to me all who are thirsty and drink of me and now of your bellies will flow torrents of living water. Jesus says, come and see. The invitation always from the Lord to us is come. And I pray that as we hear that invitation, we would never say, Lord, go away. Because I don't want to heed your voice. I don't want to follow your directions. My heart is hard right now. I don't want to give up this bitterness. I don't want to give up this sin. I don't, I don't want to listen to your voice. But it would always be come, Lord. And have your heart open to him. <laughs> Pharaoh and his God was saying, get rid of this thing. But for you and for me, who we know that our Lord is the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can turn to him and say, Lord, as you call me, it's for blessing and it's for good. Notice here also, as we continue reading, and I think this is important, in Moses, verse 9, said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. So he said, tomorrow, and he said, let it be according to your word, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frog shall depart from you, from your houses, and from your serpents, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Amazing. Moses, intercede for us. Get rid of these frogs. Moses says, you know what? At your saying, Pharaoh, when you say it, 
I'll honor your word, and the frogs will go. And Pharaoh says, tomorrow? I mean, one more night with the frogs? I would have said, yesterday. And I can see Pharaoh saying that with a frog, you know, on his head and crawling all over him. And uh, Whenever you say the word, Pharaoh, uh, tomorrow. So one more night with the frogs crawling all over in their beds and in their bowls and in their dessert and all of this, stepping on them. How many times do we say one more night with the frogs? And the Lord says to us, I want to free you from this burden. I want to free you from this sin. I want to free you from this attitude. Again, this anger, this bitterness. We say tomorrow. I just want one more night where I can pull up stuff on the computer. One more night where I'm watching the videos that are full of carnality that have been a problem. One more night I just want to sit here in my anger and stew over something and think about how I can be vindictive. One more night I want to be unforgiving. One more night I want to just play around with this relationship that I shouldn't be in. Tomorrow I'll do it. And I pray that as the Lord comes to us and says, listen, I want to free you from that. I want you to turn to me that we don't say, ah, tomorrow. One more night with the frogs. And that's what Pharaoh did. That maybe even tonight, as in a few moments, we're going to go and we're going to spend some time with the Lord and allow the Lord to minister to us. If the Lord's been putting anything on your heart and you've been saying, tomorrow, I'll deal with it tomorrow. We're going to see again in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus is going to say, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. What he's saying is deal with sin radically and deal with it now. And perhaps maybe the Lord might be speaking about an attitude or something that's been plaguing you and you've been putting it off. But tonight the Lord says, you come. You come and you give it to me. No more tomorrows. Not one more night with the frogs. But allow me to minister and to free you and to do a marvelous work that I want to do forgiveness in your life. And so he said one more. And so Moses and Aaron, verse 12, went from Pharaoh. Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together in the heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth. And they became lice on man and beast. And all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. So we see here that, that in this, um, we see that um, this third plague, the first three plagues, notice, were by the rod of Aaron being stretched out. Later, the plagues are going to be by the rod of Moses. Also, this plague came without warning, unlike the previous two. 
Now, lice here in the Hebrew word is, is the Hebrew word for gnat, some kind of gnat. So some kind of gnat that is plaguing these guys. Now, I remember when I, after, when I was actually in college, when I worked uh, for the government, I was a range conservationist for the BLM, and I worked in, in parts of Utah and Wyoming and Idaho. But I remember that there was a certain season in, in late May, early June, that you would go out in the pinion juniper, you know, sagebrush kind of um, ecosystem and doing vegetation studies. And in that, they had what was called these little rock gnats, tiny little black gnats. You don't have them around here. Tiny little black gnats, just like a little, take a ballpoint pen and make a dot. And, um, and those rock gnats, at a certain time of year, would come up and they would swarm you. And they would get all over you. And we had this government-issue bug spray that we would spray on our arms. They would just be dripping. And, and they would come in and drown. And you'd just go like this and just kind of do that. But when they, they, would, they would bite you, yeah, it was, yeah it was, but that wasn't the worst part. They would come, and those little gnats would bite you. And it was like it would itch really bad, and it hurt. And it was like little red dots all over your arm. And they would crawl up your pant leg up into your legs, and they would do the same thing. And it was terrible. But what was the worst is they would get into your ears. And you would hear, they get clear into your ears, and you hear, bzz, because one would get stuck in there. You know, in the wax, bzz. And you'd, you'd hear it. Bzz, and you'd, I had serious psychological damage from that, <laughs> because... It's like every day that summer, all I could hear, you know, I swear I hear it, bzz, little bzz in my ear. And they were terrible. And I think that's what these guys were dealing with, these, these terrible rock gnats or desert gnats or something that were just coming and biting them. And it, was, it, it would itch. There's nothing you can do. Terribly for two weeks. And it was horrible. It was a horrible, horrible thing. So this plague would strike the heart of the Egyptian worship. And the reason that it did is because Egypt, the priests prided themselves. They were extremely scrupulous about hygiene and washings and, and cleansings. And, and that's why, you know, in the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, you know, Pharaoh, you know, has a bald head and real clean and stuff. That, that was portrayed as being real because that was real important to them. So being infested, man and beast, with lice, they were unable to worship their gods. They were not able to sacrifice a lice infested animal or ox and the magicians they tr here, here they are trying to duplicate it but they couldn't and they recognized this is the finger of God this is the finger of God and so the fourth plague verse 20 the Lord said to Moses rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and he comes out to the water and they say to him thus says the Lord let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go behold I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants on your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground in which they stand and in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land and I will make a difference between my people and your people tomorrow this sign shall be so here a request is made 
Um, no response by Pharaoh. Again, that flies are going to come on the land. It's interesting. We know a little bit from these flies from Psalm 78, verse 45, that talks about the children of Israel when they were in the land there. It speaks of these flies devouring them, the Egyptians, which indicates that they were biting flies. So not only did you have the gnats that were biting and buzzing in their ears, but you had these flies that were biting. Now, we live in a part of the country that we have deer flies, you know, in the mountains. You know, isn't that, they bite you and it hurts, those deer flies. You know, you're trying to fish and bam, they're, they're hitting you. And, um, and you can put bug spray on, it really doesn't deter them. So deer flies, I grew up in the Midwest um, and some of you did where they had horse flies, big old horse flies, and they get on you and, and bite you, and it hurts. So some kind of flies, I think, that were biting, devouring the people is the indication that the Scripture is giving. But notice here that God makes a distinction now between the Egyptians and, and God's people. When Jacob's family came into the land, when Joseph, uh, Joseph was prime minister, as we saw at the end of the book of Genesis, that the Egyptian pharaoh gave Jacob and his family the best of the land with their herds and animals in Goshen in the northern part of Egypt. So apparently that's where the children of Israel are still living. Just a lot more of them that are here. So the Lord says, I'm going to make a distinction that the flies are going to hit the Egyptians, but not in Goshen, the children of Israel. The Goshen there, it's going to be the first no-fly zone in history. So verse 24, and the Lord did so, fixed... I think I read that verse. Verse 25. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice to the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then they, will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. So with all this happening, Pharaoh is, is saying, uh, you know what, why don't you go worship? And he's going to begin to compromise. He's going to begin this series of compromises here. First of all, he says, well, why don't you just worship in the land? Go sacrifice to, to verse 25 to your God in the land. Go ahead and worship, but stay in the world. And that's a compromise that Satan will try to do with you and me. Go ahead and worship, but you stay in the world. Jesus said that we are not of this world. We know that 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 tells us, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We as Christians are brought out of the world. We're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And we're not to have a love for the world. And so Satan will come along and he'll say, go ahead and worship, but stay in the world. Just stay in the land. Be worldly. Be carnal is what he will try to get us to do. The second compromise that we see here is we see that he said, well, in verse 28, I may let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far. Go ahead and go out, but don't go very far. Don't take this religious stuff too serious. <laughs> you go to church on Wednesday night, and you study the Bible on Wednesday night? Aren't you taking this a little bit too serious? 
this Christianity, this Jesus stuff too serious. You can go worship, but don't go too far out into the world. And we're going to see that these compromises are going to continue to come from Pharaoh. Go out, but leave your kids here. Go out, but leave your animals here. You know, all these compromises that Satan will come to. And we need to recognize that he will try to keep you as close in the world. If he can't keep you in the world, don't go too far. When the Lord says, I want to take you into the promised land. I want you to experience that life of abundance and blessing because I love you. And I desire to bless your life as you're totally committed to me. And so verse 29, Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. At this time also, neither would he let the people go. And so, Father, we thank you that as we look at your word in these plagues, we know that the purpose was the Lord keep your promises to your people. And we thank you that tonight, that as we look at your promises in your word, that we can hold them in our hearts and we can stand on them and be strengthened and encouraged and comforted. Father, as we look at these things, Lord, we learn so much how the world and Satan wants us to compromise our ways. How he desires for us to spend one more night in in sin, one more day in deception, or in an attitude of heart that's not right. But Lord, we know that you desire to free us. And you desire to work. That we're not bitten by the things of the world, devoured. But Lord, that you desire to bring us out. You desire to bring us out of the world. And you have through your blood, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us, who has washed us and saved us, who is alive. That's the sign that we know. Jesus Christ and him crucified. So I pray tonight as we just continue to worship for a few moments that, that, Lord, that you would just, Lord, as we present our hearts to you in worship, Lord, if there's anything that we need to confess and get right, that we would do that. Thank you, Lord. That we would say, Lord, forgive me. I thank you for your love and forgiveness. And no more. I don't want to compromise with the world, but I want to be fully submitted to you. Lord, that you bring comfort to those who need comforting tonight. And Lord, that you would bring strength to those who need to be strengthened. Father, just continue to bless us and minister to us. Speak to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're just going to spend a few more minutes just worshiping. If you need any.